Hello, and welcome to the Dynasty Baseball Pickups Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Corso, joined by my co-host, Kyle Sontag. How's it going, Kyle? It's going really well. We're finally at the point where pitchers and catchers are reporting. We're starting to get news out of all these camps. Baseball's around the corner, man, and it's awesome. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely been a flood of news um, over the last week or so. It makes me scared for some of the pitchers that we've heard about, but that's every year in spring training and just something we we got to get through. Um, speaking of news, there was one kind of major news item that might really impact um, Dynasty players, and that was the announcement of the change in schedule for the complex leagues. So um, traditionally, those leagues start in June, um, but it looks like they're going to be starting a month earlier now in May. Uh, and also finishing up a month earlier as well. So the long-term ramification of this are still kind of unknown, but it seems to me like, you know, we're probably going to get a little bit, you know, earlier view of players that are young international signees, particularly coming over from the DSL, or even the ones that skip the DSL, will be able to get see them earlier, uh, which really helps with some of these prospects that are kind of like back of the roster guys that, you know, you might want to churn if they don't get off to a good start. Um, you know, in their first taste of, of stateside ball. Um, but on the downside, because of the, you know, where the complex season will finish up, it's going to happen where a lot of the recent draftees from that year won't even be signed yet. So it might encourage, um, you know, major league teams to kind of slow play their drafted prospects, uh, not, you know, play them in complex at all, which means that we'll have less data um, to work with in our, our future FYPDs. Um, do you have anything you want to add on the the change in rules, Kyle? No, that uh, that really covers it. I think the big thing that you touched on, for me at least, is just that it does really affect how we are going to be able to view uh, the recent draftees for our FYPD drafts, because that's something where, you know, you look at a guy like Wyatt Langford this year, and although he was really high on everyone's boards coming in, I don't think he was one on many, if any, boards out there, right? And then he put up just an unbelievable performance when he came stateside, or when he turned pro. Now, that's a little bit different because he wasn't playing in those complex leagues. He was playing in the, uh, you know, full season ball, single A, double A, that kind of thing. So it's really going to be, I think, more the high schoolers that it might affect than the college guys that are more likely to take the jump right into full season ball. Yeah, I agree. Um, those, it's going to be those younger players. And, you know, maybe what we saw this year with guys like Walker Martin and uh, Farmello not playing at all is kind of what we can expect more in the future. We'll, we'll just have um, some of the younger players that just aren't going to um, – we're not going to see the year they get drafted for hitters. Now we're kind of used to that for pitchers, but uh, it'll be a new thing to kind of see that become the norm with, with the high school hitters potentially. Um, but wanted to jump into our topic today, which is the uh, second baseman in our ADP reviews that we're doing for dynasty startups. So if you haven't heard our, our prior episodes, again, this is ADP from four different dynasty startups that happened um, this last uh, off season, the last few weeks and months. Um, this is, one points league and three categories leagues of varying sizes and, and prospect pools. Um, we were involved in two of these startups. So we have those kind of recaps available uh, in our podcast feed if you miss those. And we have the catcher and first base uh, ADP in there as well. But today we're going to tackle second base. It's a really, really interesting position. Um, in terms of the ADP we're looking at, you know, as we've done in the past, we've split it into looking at uh, different 
chunks of picks. So, you know, picks under uh, are, you know, picks between one and 100 are, are one kind of chunk that we'll talk about between 100 and 200, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but going through here, let's start with just kind of overall, what was your impression after kind of digging into the second base position, Cal? Uh, my impression with second base is that I either want to get someone really early or wait until kind of the back end ish of the, the second group here in that, you know, 175 to 200 range. For me, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of guys in that middle chunk. Um, I just think there are, you know, quite a few issues and a lot of variants that can go on with them. So I feel like it, it depends a little bit on your strategy going into a draft. If you want to go win now, there are lots of solid older players at the top of this ADP list. And if you want to, you know, maybe sacrifice a year or two and look at win down the road, that's where you can start to see a lot of, you know, promising talent outside the top 100 for overall ADP. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I either want to go early or wait, you know, um, so it's kind of it's different than both the catcher and first base positions. You know, catcher we talked about wanting to to wait, and then first base we talked about wanting to get early. This is kind of a mix where you just don't want to land in the middle. All right, well let's jump into the first group of ADP. So again, this is between pick one and one hundred. So we have Mookie Betts as the first second baseman off the board um, at ADP of nine. We've got Ozzy Albie's ADP of twenty two, Marcus Simeon ADP of fifty. Matt McLean, 54, Jazz Chisholm, 70, Jose Altuve, 79, Nico Horner, 82, and Glaber Torres, 90. So from that group of eight, is there anything that stands out to you, Kyle? Yeah, so the kind of two or three big things that stand out, as I, I mentioned before here, there's only one player in this group under the age of 26, and that's Matt McLean. So for the most part, this is, you know, a little bit of an older group with Mookie at 31 and Semyon at 33 and Altuve at 33. And then you got a bunch of 26, 27, 28 year olds, that kind of thing. So this is kind of the group that you're shopping in if you're looking to win now. Outside of that, uh, the two players that stand out to me are Jazz Chisholm and Nico Horner. And the reason they stand out to me are because they are players that I personally do not want to draft within the top 100 for different reasons. With Jazz, it's the injury history, it's the high variance, it's the, you know, admittedly incredibly high upside, but a very low floor relative to a lot of these guys. And then with Nico Horner, it's the lack of upside. You know, in a categories league, He's going to give you plenty of stolen bases and he can help with the ratios a little bit, but he's not going to contribute a whole lot in your uh, counting stats outside of the stolen bases. He won't provide much power and I don't see that being something that's going to change anytime soon. So for me personally, Jazz Chisholm and Nico Horner just aren't guys that I really want to touch inside the top 100. And I think that, you know, that sentiment is shown really in the the variance in their picks as well. In this group inside the top 100 of ADP, they had the two highest pick differentials. Jazz had a, a difference of 68 picks with a high of 42 and a low of 110. 
while Horner had a difference of 51 with a high of 56 and a low of 107. So they were, you know, not only the two biggest variances, but the only two players within this group inside the top 100 that was picked, sorry, Altuve was as well, but picked outside of the top 100. There were only a handful of these guys and they had the biggest variance. So I think the market on Chisholm and Horner is a little bit all over the place. And it really depends on how much you believe in, you know, Jazz's health and Horner's ability to, I guess, continue contributing at a basically elite level from stolen bases. Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> Those are two players I wanted to call out as well. And and let's start with Chisholm. I agree 100% with everything you said, right? He has sky high upside, you know, what he's been able to do in the limited amount of time that he's been on the field, you know, translates to a ceiling as a first round talent, right? You know, he could be a 30, 30 player, but you mentioned it. Those injuries have really taken their toll across the last few years. Let me just kind of summarize what he's gone through since 2021. He's dealt with three different hamstring injuries, which he also dealt with as a prospect in the Diamondbacks organization, two different shoulder injuries, two different knee injuries. Last year, he had issues with turf toe. He's had two different ankle injuries. He's had a knee injury, an oblique injury, a back injury, and a hand injury. Now, some of those are are more minor than others, and some of those are more you know freak injuries, but still, those add up. And for a player who's you know still only 26, this to me screams Byron Buxton 2.0, just all the talent in the world cannot stay on the field. And we've seen how frustrating it is to roster a player like that in Byron Buxton. And like you, I just don't really want anything to do with it unless he falls more towards like that, that second tier. I mean, the upside is there and in a shower league, you know, I'm more willing to take it. But in addition to the injuries, he also has been a dreadful hitter against left-handed pitching. He's got a career 61 WRC plus, against left-handers so even if he could stay healthy you know his defense and everything will probably keep him on the field but he he does have a capped upside as a hitter at this point in terms of just you know torching righties but but really struggling against left-handed pitching I'm, I'm really glad you called out the the platoon splits as well because it's something that I always forget about with him because I'm so focused on the high variance caused by his injury risk but there's more than just that. You're right. The platoon risk is really, really severe here. You know, thankfully for him, he plays good enough defense that in Miami, he's probably going to be in the lineup more often than not. But whether that's actually a good thing or not for your fantasy lineup with a, what did you say, 61 WRC plus against lefties? Yeah, uh, it was, yeah, 61. Yeah, that's that's not going to help you. No, not at all. And and I'm glad you mentioned Horner as well, because I just don't understand why he's getting picked so high. I get he had like over 40 stolen bases last year, but the guy has no power, um, didn't even hit for for double digit home runs. And you look at a lot of these names further down the list, and there's no reason why those players can't have a better year than Nico Horner. I mean, look at, you know, Hassan Kim, like 30 picks later. He, in 2023, had a better OBP and slug, eight more home run, and only five less stolen bases and 60 less plate appearances. So, you know, in batting average, like, like Horner has the advantage over someone like Kim. But outside of that, you know, 
I would much rather take Kim at his value. And there's guys way lower than Kim that I would much rather have than Kim that have similar profiles. So I'll kind of call those out as we go, but Porter does not belong where he's going. And with the, the lowest pick being pick 107, it's not like, you know, you mentioned the high variance, but people are still in every league took him almost exclusively within that first hundred picks. And as much as I love Nico Horner, I just, I don't think the upside is there. And I think a lot of the, the lift there is just the, the eye popping 40 stolen base total. And there's no reason some of these guys lower down the list can't have more power and just as much or almost as much steals like a Hassan Kim. Yeah, absolutely. You, you hit the nail on the head there. There's just way better value going two, three, four, five plus rounds after Horner is going. Um, And really, like we should also mention, yes, there was the big variance from 56 to 107, but the 56 was the highest by a lot. The next highest pick wasn't until 82. So someone really liked Horner to be taking him with pick 56. But again, with all of these picks being inside of or just outside the top 100, the highest again being 107, it's just that's way, way higher than I want to take a guy with such little power potential for how many different categories a player's power is going to end up contributing to. Yeah, and I would be remiss if we moved on to the next uh, grouping without, you know, talking about Matt McClain because <laughs> yeah, I drafted absolutely. him I drafted him in, in two of these four leagues uh, you know he's the you know number four in ADP um, below you know Mookie Betts Ozzy Albies Marcus Simeon um, I definitely have him above Marcus Simeon and I would make the argument that they're the two of them are, are pretty similar players in terms of statistical output at this point but why you know why wouldn't you take the player that's a decade younger in Matt McLean and in the better ballpark. So if you look at the projections for, for Matt McLean versus Marcus Simeon, they're remarkably similar. So you, you know, taking ATC projections for, for 2024, Matt McLean is projected for five less points of batting average, eight more points of OBP, five less points of slug, three less home runs and five more stolen bases than Marcus Simeon while also being projected for almost a hundred plate appearances less. Now, Simeon is, it's true, like he's an iron horse. He's in the top of that lineup. He collects a ton of plate appearances. But, you know, I think Matt McClain is going to be the everyday second baseman. Yes, they're a very crowded infield, but I could see him, you know, going above his his plate appearance uh, projection. And when you look at the fact that he's already projected to be pretty much just like Simeon with 100 less plate appearances, you bump up those plate appearances. He's looking at a clear lead in home runs and stolen bases and probably your runs in RBIs as well, especially in that ballpark. And he's a decade younger. So in a dynasty league, what the heck are you doing taking Simeon before McLean? I, I just, I really love Matt McLean, you know, in addition to, you know, the, the power speed upside there. I mean, he's, he's protected for 23 home runs and 20 stolen bases, um, he's in that that great ballpark. And yeah, you know, maybe his power is more average than than plus, but that ballpark makes up for it. And he's got the speed on top of that. He's shown the ability to make adjustments. You know, he really struggled in 2022. He had fallen down a lot of of uh, prospect lists. And then in 2023, he came out and just, you know, came out on fire. So he's shown the ability to do it in the past. He's there's, you know, reports of him working on adjustments this offseason. Um, working to get better at hitting fastballs at the top of the zone. And that's really what you want to see 
from a young player. And again, he's by far the youngest in this group at only 24. And that's why I'm targeting McLean everywhere I can, uh, especially in these startup drafts. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I love Matt McLean. He is the the big, big target at the position with a bullet because of the talent combined with the age. The one thing for me is I do have a tough time putting him ahead of Semyon just because Semyon has done it so consistently for so long while we've only seen not even a full season of it from McLean. If he does it again next year, which is entirely possible and he might be even better, He's absolutely going to surpass Semyon, but right now, while they're neck and neck, I have a hard time putting McLean over Semyon, but I can't argue with the logic behind doing so. Yeah, I could see that. I I just think McLean's going to be, you know, consensus top three second baseman next year, if not top two, depending on, you know, what Albies does this year. I could see a world in which McLean kind of becomes that you know, surpasses Albies is kind of that uh, second base too. But I, I don't think there's a world in which he surpasses bets. So no. <laughs> uh, he doesn't, he doesn't have the power upside to get there. Um, but yeah, I just, I really love Matt McLean. And I think, you know, he, where he's going, I'm, I'm definitely liking that value. Um, but moving on to our second grouping here, which is picks 100 to 280 P we've got Kettle Marte. We've got, uh, or at 111, we've got Zach Jelloff at 112, Spencer Steer, 113, Hassan Kim, 115, Colt Keith, our first prospect at 129, Luis Arias at 131, Matt Shaw, our other prospect in this tier at 153, Nolan Gorman at 156, Edward Julian at 156, Bryson Stott at 157, Jordan Westberg at 189, and Andres Jimenez at 197. So, from this group here, let's talk about the, the MLB players first, and then we'll get into the prospects. Um, what kind of strikes you with this group on the MLB side? Biggest thing for me is Hassan Kim. You mentioned him a little bit earlier, and I just want to say real quick, shame on both of us, because we are part of the reason his ADP is as low as it is. One of the leagues we were in was the only league to draft him outside of the top 100, and he went 202nd overall. I don't know how that happened. I don't know how either of us let that happen. That was just a flat-out error on our part. There's no way he should be going that late. He's no superstar, but he's a very solid across-the-board contributor. Now, it is worth noting that that is the points league, but for a player like Hassan Kim, I really don't think that that dings him a whole lot he's still a very solid points league asset because he doesn't strike out a ton he contributes across the board he's just and especially when you take into account his multi-position eligibility he there's no reason for him to be going outside of the top 200 you know this kind of range just outside of the top 100 for an overall adp is probably right but a pick beyond 200 is just insane we just missed on that one yeah i agree i think he belongs kind of more in the the back end of this um this area with guys like you know stott jimenez westberg like it's a similar profile to those guys i I think he is you know maybe was going a little bit too soon in in the top 100 picks like you said but yeah i think he definitely belongs in the top 200 and i think you know especially in a points league i I think he's going to be real valuable in that particular one because it it boosts up stolen bases more than your average uh points league but yeah i I think hassan kim 
depending on where you can get him, he's either going to be overpriced or potentially a really good value. So there's there's a wide, wide variance on on uh, how he's being valued. And I think part of that is I've seen a lot of articles this offseason about um, just his bust potential. I mean, you and I think a lot of that is from like redraft players because he's going really early in redrafts. But I think long term from a, a dynasty pers- perspective, I don't see a lot of bust potential there. Like I, I don't see him, you know, maybe having the home runs that he did last year. But other than that, I, I think he's just a really solid second baseman. You'll be happy to have. And there's a potential for him to get into more power if he moves uh, to a better ballpark. You know, Padres don't have the the greatest ballpark for hitters. Uh, there have been talks that they want to extend him, but you know, who knows if they actually can. Um, but you know, you mentioned the the variance in picks, and it, it's wild that he had a 121 pick differential, which was the highest for any player until we get to uh, Tommy Edmond, who had an ADP of 233. So uh, it, it's just really kind of wild, um, like you said, that he he dropped as far as he did. Um, in terms of the prospects, we've got two in this range, Colt Keith and Matt Shaw. Um, which one do you prefer? I prefer Matt Shaw. Um, it's it's very, very close. I, I'm i not going to, you know, make a strong argument against uh, uh, anyone that wants to say Colt Keith, especially since it looks like he's got the inside track on an opening day job at this point. Um, but I one thing I actually wanted to emphasize with Matt Shaw is the fact that doing your FYP, FYPD research early can really, really pay off. Because I, at pick 184, got the best value on Matt Shaw. And that was due in large part to the fact that this was a league that drafted starting right around Christmas. And not a lot of people have had done much for FYPD research yet. So not only did I get Shaw, but I got a ton of FYPD players this uh, from this past season that I think a lot of people would have taken significantly higher than I did in that draft if more people were doing their research earlier. So I think while he's a you know really talented player across the board, contributes really in every category, the emphasis I have with Matt Shaw is on doing your research well ahead of time yeah i think that's a great point i especially that first draft the the points league one i think the whole draft room just saw you really you know nailing those those fypd picks you know both the the drafted prospects and the international prospects that were expected to sign and um it definitely got me more prepped for the the second the startups that we did because i i learned my lesson and seeing you just you know, get a wealth of these guys that no one really had had done their research on at that point. So that's a great point if you're doing um, early offseason startups. At this point in the offseason, that's not happening. But um, yeah, you can progressively see his value just going higher and higher as these drafts got further and further into the offseason. I agree with you. I'm Matt Shaw over Colt Keith. And it's nothing on Colt Keith. I really like, you know, he's a plus hit, plus power combination. He had 27 home runs um, in the minors last year. But my biggest issue with him is that ballpark um you know he he could be a 30 home run bat with the power that he has but i don't think he's going to get that within you know comerica i think he's going to have maybe his power be capped around 20 home runs and yeah he's going to be a good source of of batting average and obp and, and great in a points league 
but without speed, I think he's just kind of gonna, um, you know, he's, he's gonna underperform, I think where, where people are, are valuing him at, at this point. Um, you know, one thing I will say is, is I learned a lesson on Colkey because I was able to pick up a couple shares last year by kind of buying low off of his injury. He was somebody who came out, had a really good, um, you know, kind of stretch early in the season and then hurt his shoulder and was out for the whole remaining season. And there were some great values on him last off season. I took advantage of that. Um, in one league, I was able to trade, you know, Eric Lauer for Colt Keith plus another piece. Um, and obviously <laughs> Eric Lauer is nothing now and, and Colt Keith is a top prospect. So um, be on the lookout for players like that, who, you know, had a, a really good small sample, but might be unheralded because they missed most of the prior season due to injury. Uh, but with that being said, I do want to talk about Matt Shaw a little bit. Um, to me, he is so similar to Matt McClain. I, I think he's like Matt McClain 2.0. Um, they're the same height. They're around the same weight. They're both, you know, right-handed infielders. Um, Matt Shaw might even have, you know, better tools in, in terms of, you know, above average hit tool, above average power, plus speed. I would definitely take him, you know, over Colt Keith except maybe in like an OBP league um, just because, you know, the one knock on, on Matt Shaw and the one thing that he doesn't have that McLean does is he just doesn't walk a lot. You know, he had a 5.3% uh, walk rate, but he, he doesn't strike out much either with a 14% um, K rate. So, you know, I, I think if he can get that walk rate up a little bit, his, his stock could soar. But even if he doesn't, I mean, I think he's going to be, a guy who once he gets to the majors, we're going to be talking about as you know top 10 at his position. And that position might be third base and not second base. It seems like they're, they're kind of working him out there. There's some definite questions about, um, about the Cubs, you know, third base situation. So, you know, with, with, with Horner at second, you know, and, and Dansby at shortstop, that really seems to be kind of maybe his future path uh, would be at third base. Other than that, in this, here is there anyone else that you wanted to kind of mention or talk about the other big one for me is Anders Jimenez at the bottom of the group here with an ADP of 197 um you know I I know he had a a bit of a a down year after a really strong 2022 but he still hit 15 home runs and stole 30 bases He's an elite defender at second base. He's 93rd percentile in sprint speed. So the stolen bases aren't going anywhere anytime soon. And even if he's only going to hit you 15 or so home runs with a, you know, he hit 251 this past year, I would expect that to tick back up a little bit. But if he's going to be 15 home runs, say 260 average, 325 OBP, and 30 plus stolen bases that is extremely valuable and i have no idea why he's going at almost pick 200 and, it, and it's consistently there right he has one yeah. of the lowest differentials at only 19 picks between his min pick at 190 and his max pick at 209 so everybody's taking him there and i agree like he really stood out to me as the steal of the second base position because you look at him versus nico horner i could definitely see many you know realities in which Andre Semenes is a better fantasy player next year than Nico Horner um or same thing with um Hassan Kim like they're they're kind of similar statistical profiles and if Andre Semenes can regress positively back to 
you know, what he was a season ago, I think he could have a better year than Hassan Kim. So, and he's younger than all of them. You know, he's younger than mm-hmm. Bryson Stott. Like he, the, the talent and the age is there. And you mentioned the defense, it's going to keep him on the field. And that's why, like I mentioned before, like I like Kim, but like why take Kim when you can take Andres Jimenez potentially a hundred picks later? Um, when there's not really that much difference between them. Not, I'll lump Bryson Stott in that group too. I think he's a, kind of a similar profile and, you know, he he's kind of better value, but still he's going, you know, uh, 50 picks-ish before Andres Jimenez, 40 picks. So yeah, I definitely agree with you on Jimenez there. And just a couple more call-outs from this group. I really like Zach Jeloff. I think he's getting slept on a little bit. Spencer Steer, we've talked about. Um, Nolan Gorman is one that I picked up in one of the leagues. And I just think that if he could stay healthy and improve his strikeout rate at all, like this is a fantasy monster and we've, we've seen the, the big time power, right? So he had 464 plate appearances last year. He had 27 home runs, you know, he had an 87 percentile X slug, 86 percentile hard hit, 97 percentile barrel rate, uh, 77 percentile exit velocity, 79 percentile max exit velocity, he walks a good amount. He had a 11% walk rate last year. The big knock on him is just the 31% K rate. We've seen in the past him make adjustments to kind of fill some of those holes in his swing and lower his K rate. He did it in 2021 uh, when he was able to get his K rate down to 22% and 523 plate appearances across the high minors. Uh, the issue for him is just he's missed time due to hamstring and, and back issues for both of the last couple seasons. But if he could stay healthy, this is a 35 to 40 home run uh, high OBP bat and you know he chips in some steals too it with the full season he could definitely you know approach double digit stolen basis so I think Gorman is one that should get a lot more playing time this year and I'm just really excited about at the value he's going at you know 156 in ADP yeah I think he's a a really nice value he's one though that I I have had a tough time figuring out exactly where I want to have him just because there is so much variance, but it is easy to see a path to which he really rises this year. Like you said, there are lots of reasons to think he's going to shoot up the rankings. On a similar note, one last guy I want to touch on in this range is Edward Julian. We've talked about him a little bit in past episodes. He has just an elite, elite eye at the plate where he has a 100th percentile chase percentage he chases less often than anybody in the entire league he's got a 98th percentile walk percentage he's also got an 86th percentile barrel percentage a 70 percentile hard hit 91st percentile sweet spot so when he does decide to swing he barrels up the ball and hits it very well not always incredibly hard he doesn't have a ton of exit velo he's got a 55th percentile average ev the big knock with him is the whiff and the k it's a 26th percentile whiff rate at 29 percent and a 31 percent k rate which is eighth percentile in the league however those as we've discussed in the past aren't really the norm for him and the biggest thing for me is the fact that they traded Polanco away. So there's nobody stopping him from getting full-time second base reps anymore. Where coming into the year, he was looked at as a guy who might have some platoon risk. 
because he did struggle a little bit against lefties last year, but they also only gave him 48 plate appearances against left-handed pitching. So I'm really excited to see where Edward Julian ends up at the end of the year, getting hopefully full-time playing opportunity and regressing back to the norm with his whiff and K rates, because it's just an elite approach that puts the barrel on the ball whenever he decides to swing the bat. Yeah, he's he's another great pick in this range. And actually kind of this back end of the the you know 100 to 200 range. Um I just I like a lot of these names and Edward Julian is definitely one that we could see rise up. I think he does have some some pretty massive platoon issues. Um so that's something that he'll need to iron out as well, but you know between the power and the the on-base upside there. I mean, he could really uh rise up and like you said, you know, he's got the vote of confidence from the Twins in dealing away Polanco. So uh, he'll have every opportunity to to really take that job and run with it. And, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on this group, but just one last name I got to mention is is Jordan Westberg. Um, he's a guy I really like. We've talked about it before. You're not as sold on him, but um, he doesn't strike out a lot. He hits the bar, ball really hard. He's got a 90.2 average EV with a 111 max. Um, he's really fast. He's got an 88% you know, sprint speed, scouting grades, back it up with above average power and speed tools and a solid hit tool. Um, he doesn't walk a tongue or didn't walk a ton last year at the MLB level, but does have a career uh, 11% walk rate in the minor leagues. And, you know, speaking of the minor leagues last year in, you know, triple a, he went off in 67 games and 301 plate appearances. He had 18 home runs, six stolen bases with zero caught stealing 295, 372, 567, which is a 939 OPS slash and then a 131 WRC plus. Um, the biggest knocks on him are his playing time concerns, you know, obviously in a really stacked system. And then also, you know, was better against left-handed pitchers than right-handed pitchers with a 7886 OPS against uh lefties and a 676 OPS against righties. But I don't think he's a short side platoon risk because you look at you know what he did in triple A last year, he had a OPS over a thousand against right-handed pitching. So <laughs> I think he could definitely hit right-handed pitching. I think he just kind of gets lost in a really crowded situation, but I'm betting on Westberg and I, I really like the value. Yeah. So you mentioned it, you know, I, I haven't been the biggest fan of Westberg in the past and I still don't love him. I'm still probably not as high on him as you are, but I'm definitely warming up to him, especially with the move of Ortiz opening up a little bit more playing time there in Baltimore but I think more is just sort of an overarching statement at the back end of this, you know, top 200 group that we were talking about with Gorman and Julian and Stott and Westberg and Jimenez. The oldest player in this group is a 26 year old Bryson Stott. And this is what we were talking about off the top of the episode where you kind of want to go either early for second baseman with your Mookie, your Aussie, Semyon, McLean. Or you want to go late. When I'm talking late, I'm talking right in this range at the bottom of the top 200 for ADP with the Gormans, the Julians, the Stotts, the Westbergs, the Jimenezes. Because beyond this is where outside of a few really nice value picks, it kind of gets ugly and there's a lot of variance. So I just really wanted to emphasize the fact that when we say you either go early or late with second baseman, this is what we consider late. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> this is exactly if I had to kind of map out and to your point, there are, there are a couple exceptions that are really, really good value later, but 
yeah, I, I'm looking personally, I'm looking at Betts, Albies, or McLean. If I don't get those guys, then I'm shopping in the, you know, Gorman through Jimenez tier uh, as my starting second baseman. And and I love the value there as well. So yeah, could not agree more on that point. Um, with that being said, let's get down into some of those higher variance plays, like you mentioned. So in our next grouping, it's pick 200 to 300. And we've got Jonathan India at 215, Tyler Black at 228, Christopher Morrell at 230, Tommy Edmond at 233, Tamar Johnson at 239, Miguel Vargas at 240, Ronnie Mauricio at 246, Curtis Mead at 248, Vaughn Grissom at 254, and then Gavin Lux at 277. So again, let's talk about the, the MLB players first here. Of this bunch, who's the most uh, intriguing to you? Uh, so for me, it's the two guys that are sandwiching all the prospects, Tommy Edmond and Vaughn Grissom. Tommy Edmond, I think, is another player similar to some guys we talked about earlier, like a Jimenez or a Stott or a Kim, who is just being really underrated. And frankly, I don't really know why. But again, part of that has to do with the variance in his picks, because he did have a high of 169 but his low was pick 366. And I just don't know how he falls that far. He's another one that, you know, isn't going to give you a ton of power, but is going to contribute pretty solidly across the board and has multi-position eligibility with second base, shortstop, and outfield. And then with Vaughn Grissom, I think the big thing here is just that at least one of these leagues, which you can see pretty clearly um, in the ADP that I believe will be posted with the release of this episode, you can see pretty clearly which of these leagues started earliest and would have been drafted before he got traded and before we knew he had playing time. Because three of the four picks are between 220 and 236, while the fourth pick, the draft that started around Christmas time, is pick 329, which is really dropping his ADP here. He should be going much, much higher than that, and I presume is going much, much higher than that in any league that has drafted since he was traded to Boston. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's about a hundred hundred pick difference there. And what's what's ironic is that the the league that drafted first, the one that drafted before he got traded, is the points league, and that's his best format. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's known for his hit tool. The ceiling's a little bit more limited. You know, it's more like 15, 15 type of seat a ceiling, but I think you know, he should get everyday run in Boston there. Um, the whole situation in Atlanta was just a mess with with the defensive issues and trying to to shoehorn him in at, at, at shortstop there. But I think, you know, being at his his most comfortable position at second base and then, um, you know, being in a, a good environment, good ballpark. Like, I think, you know, like I said, good average, um, you know, solid uh, like OBP and then, you know, 15, 15 type, I, I think is a really nice place for him to land there um Tommy Edmond I agree he's not somebody I'm really all that interested in because there's a player I like later on that I think provides the same set of skills but I think you know again like why take Nico Horner at the seventh second baseman off the board when you can take Tommy Edmond at 24th and the difference between them is not much you know Tommy Edmond's going to get you more power and probably a similar amount of steals you know he won't have the batting average uh that Horner will but still I mean it's you know, the value of where he's going is really good. And I really like the the player going right above him, Christopher Morrell. I mean, this is a guy who's, you know, upsides off the charts, right? He's got plus power. I mean, he had 
you know, 26 home runs last year, 85 percentile X slug, 91 percentile exit velocity, 95 percentile barrel rate, 92 percentile hard hit rate. Um, he's also super fast with an 82 percentile sprint speed, but doesn't steal a ton. He only had six stolen bases last year. But the biggest issue for him, you know, like a lot of you know players with a lot of power, is just his contact issues. He had a 31 percentile K rate. Um, he's also had defensive issues, so he didn't really have a defensive home. Was just kind of more of a utility guy the last couple seasons in Chicago, and that's meant he's had under 430 plate appearances uh, in each one of those years. But it sounds like the plan is for him to focus on third base this year. That job is there for the taking. If he can, you know, improve his defense a little bit and cut back on the strikeouts a little bit, this guy has major, major upside. And going at pick 230 on average, I really like him, particularly because he's also got the outfield eligibility there. Yeah, I think, like you said, tons and tons of upside in Morel's package. Um, surprisingly enough, he did not go lowest in the points league, which I think is far and away his worst format because, as you mentioned, it's a 31% K rate driven by a 37% whiff rate, which is bottom two percentile in the entire league. Now, when he makes contact, he smokes the ball. And like you said, he can absolutely fly on the bases. This is a guy who, you know, hit 16 home runs, stole 10 bases in 2022, 26 home runs, six stolen bases only in 2023. So you do wonder a little bit where the stolen bases are, given the fact that he has an 82nd percentile sprint speed. But sometimes for some guys, it just doesn't translate to stolen bases. And maybe that's morale. You know, some guys just don't have the instincts, the aggressiveness to be that kind of player. On the flip side, you know, not a player that we're going to be discussing for second base purposes, but if you look at a guy like Kyle Tucker, his sprint speed isn't going to blow anyone away. And he, you know, blows most of the league out of the water in stolen bases every year because his instincts are that good. So one thing we do need to be aware of when it comes to some of these guys is not just looking at their sprint speed when we are trying to evaluate how many stolen bases they might have, but looking at their track record in that stat as well. And just trying to figure out whether or not they actually have, again, the instincts, the aggressiveness to be stealing bases, because for a guy with his speed to only steal six bases in the stolen base landscape that we had last year is really disappointing. That being said, Again, the the power potential here is just immense, and there's a lot to like if he can find a way to start uh, making more consistent contact with the ball. That being said, even those poor contact rates that we talked about in 2023 were better than his 2022 numbers. So I think it's an uphill battle in that regard, but it's easy to see where, you know, where the the upside comes from. Yeah. And I think, you know, similar to what we talked about with, with a player like Julian, you know, he's a player that still needs to make adjustments, but he's only 24 years old. And similar to what we talked about with Julian, like he needs an opportunity to play every day. And if he can get that opportunity, I think we could continue to see some gains, you know, with his contact rates. Um, and, you know, in terms of what you mentioned about the stolen bases, I completely agree. That's why, you know, you got to look at both, right? Like what is the sprint speed, but then also, you know, what, what has this player shown historically and morale, I think is more, you know, he could be a double digit stolen base guy, maybe 10 to 15. Um, 
but yeah, even though he's got the speed to do more than that, he just hasn't really shown a desire to. And stolen bases is all about, um, you know, the desire, right? <laughs> so, Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes so we'll, we'll you can see. argue that it's a, a team thing, but when you've got Nico Horner stealing 40 plus bases, it's not a team issue with Morel only stealing six. Yeah. I'm not anticipating he's going to get more than, you know, 10 to 15 on the high end, but you know, you're talking about 30 home run potential, you know, 15 stolen base potential. Um, if he could just, you know, make a few modifications. And I think that's worth betting on at that point in the draft. And, you know, you kind of mentioned like that you were surprised he went as early as he did in, in the points league. Well, that was me. So <laughs> mm, well, <laughs> I know it's it not sense then. I know it's not his best format, but I've just really been a, a Christopher Morel believer. You know, it, it's one of those that, you know, I just, I see the potential and I just can't give up on it. And I just feel like the breakout is coming. Now the breakout may never come, but uh, I'm going to keep betting on him uh, until it does, especially when, he, again, he's still so young, only 24 oh, yeah. years old. They're and I, I do want to clarify, I'm not necessarily surprised that he went as early as he did in that league, just that he that that wasn't his lowest drafted league. Like, I, I don't see why he's being drafted lower in a categories league than he is in a points league. Yeah, no, I totally get that. And I think, you know, for me, because I already had Matt McClain, I was looking at him more as an outfield option. I don't know if you remember, but in that points league outfielders, we had a run on them pretty yeah. early on, and it was really hard to kind of finish out the outfield. So that's that's where I gra- drafted Morel there because I thought, you know, he's kind of a back end outfielder for me that can also fill in at second, and there's there's some upside there. Um, but yeah, definitely not his best format with how much he strikes out. Um, that being said, let's move on to the prospects in this range because there's quite a few of them. Um, which one of these prospects in this range is your favorite? For me, it is still Termar Johnson. He's a player that I think has kind of been dropped in a lot of places. You still see him really high on all the second base prospect rankings, but a big part of that is more so due to the fact that there just aren't a lot of good second base prospects because usually any top end second basemen are shortstops that had to convert late because they couldn't stick at the position for one reason or another you rarely see a true top prospect start as a second baseman. But with Termar Johnson, I think the hype was just so ridiculously high coming out of the draft. There were comps saying he has the bat-to-ball skills of Vlad Guerrero Sr. combined with the plate discipline of Wade Boggs. Like, you can't comp a 17-, 18-year-old kid to two different Hall of Famers and not expect to be disappointed. So I think for me, there's been a bit of an overcorrection where we see him dip sometimes because he hasn't lived up to that hype. Nobody was going to live up to that hype ever. It was just insane to ever put that on a kid, let alone, you know, expect him to live up to it. So I I think there's just an overcorrection right now. And I expect that as a 19-year-old, there's still a lot of development to come. And I think people are going to come back around on him before he makes his big league debut in a year or two. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, <laughs> everything you're saying is true. You know, the 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 hit, the hit tool is overhyped, but he's done more, I think, with kind of the power and everything than was expected Absolutely. to. So I think he's just a different player than what the scouts expected. And yeah, I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. I, I'm really excited for the shares of him. I have. And yeah, I, I definitely like that pick there. Um, 
I got to talk about Ronnie Mauricio. This is a guy who I think it is super exciting and it really, really sucks that he got hurt this off season. He tore his ACL. He's going to be out for a while. Um, But it's just one that I, I, I I think I did get him in, in at least the points league, I think again, probably not his best format, but um, he doesn't walk much, but you know, I've been hesitant to kind of go after him just because He's a prospect that's had a lot of ups and downs in the minors. Um, really, really took off last year. Shown a really high upside, but there's still questions about kind of what he's going to be at the big league level. And with the injury and everything, I, I just I'm probably more willing to buy into him when he's closer to coming back from injury. But I haven't really been able to pull the trigger on kind of trading for him at the value he's valued at this off season. So still a guy I like long term, but I'm kind of like, you know, looking to target kind of close to his return um, to get him rather than someone I got to, you know, hold out for him to return from injury and still have questions about, you know, what he's going to be when he does return. But I think the value where he's going is, is really good. I agree. I, the big thing with him for me is we got a glimpse of him in the bigs and he showed the upside that he's got, you know, he had an average exit velocity in the 108 plate appearances that he had in the big leagues of 90.7 with a max exit velocity of 117.3, which is top 1% in the entire league. That's insane. (laughs) And he did that as a 21, 22-year-old. Like, just bonkers. So you can see the upside here. But as with a lot of these players where we're talking, you know, you mentioned it with Morel, when there's that big power potential, there's a lot of swing and miss here as well. And it was a, you know, really bad chase percentage, a really bad whiff percentage, a really bad K rate when he was up in the bigs. So it's that same story of just needing to make more consistent contact, but he might have one of the highest ceilings at the position. You know, if he can fix that even, you know, to a respectable level, let alone, you know, a a good level. So there's a lot to like there. And I think you can get him at really good values right now because he is going to miss the entirety of 2024. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, uh, like I said, I, I've gotten close to pulling the trigger on him in some offseason trades, uh, but I think I just want to kind of wait and see. Um, but yeah, the upside is, is definitely there. And then before we move on, there's just a couple other names um, in this tier that I don't really know how to evaluate. Um, one on the prospect side in Tyler Black. I think, you know, I, I could see where the excitement's coming from. I mean, he's a minor league career, you know, 400 plus OBP guy. He had 50 stolen bases or, you know, over 50 stolen bases last year. But, you know, he doesn't really have a lot of power, you know, maybe 10 to 15 home runs. Um, you know, I don't know that he's going to steal 50 bases at the big league level. It seems like, you know, expectations are maybe more like 30 and he doesn't have good defense. So it's going to be hard for um, Milwaukee to kind of find a place for him. If he, if he can't perform defensively, similar to guys that we've talked about, like, like Christopher Morrell. So I don't know how to evaluate him. You know, I'm not kind of too excited about him, but I could see a world in which he is a valuable, um, you know, fancy player as soon as this year. But what, what are your thoughts on black? Cause he's, he's a tough one for me. I'm, I'm I'm thinking about him very similarly to you. I'm not sold on him. I see where people, why people like him. But like you said, like it's at best average power. I don't know if he's going to get, like you said, I don't know if he's going to cross that 15 home run threshold 
as a as a big leaguer. He did hit 18 total between double A and triple A last year, but I I just I see that number dipping quite a bit in the the bigs. He stole 55 bases combined. I don't see that happening either. Like you said, I think the 10 to 15 home runs with a with you know 30-ish stolen bases is probably the most I would expect out of him. Now, you know, that's valuable. That's we were just talking about how much we liked, you know, Anders Jimenez for doing basically that. And you're only getting Tyler Black you know, 30 picks later than Jimenez. The big thing is we've seen Jimenez do it for a couple of years now where we don't really know for sure if that's going to translate to the big league level with Tyler Black. So you're getting him at a bit of a discount, but that's because there's still a lot of uncertainty surrounding him. If he can be that player, awesome. That's good value for you. The The big thing to remember, though, too, is he right now, I think, is poised to be their starting third baseman. And like you said, not thought of particularly positively from a defensive standpoint. So that might be a guy who at some point needs to cross the cross the diamond and play some first base. And, you know, at that point, hitting just 15 home runs, even if you are stealing 30 bases, you expect more out of really a corner infielder in general, but especially a first baseman. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. Um, I think the the one place I think there there's more excitement about him is just in the OBP because he's shown really yes. high OBPs, but yeah, the risk is still there. And the upside in my mind is like, okay, you're, you're a high OBP, you know, like he's said, like a high OBP Andre Semenes, like yeah. you know, cl- clearly that's not crazy, crazy valuable unless you're in a specific OBP league. Um, one last guy, and, and then we'll move on to some quick hits on these later guys. Uh, Gavin Lux, I, again, I don't really know how to value him. He had some, you know, reported, uh, you know, EV increase prior to his injury. Um, but he's been, uh, you know, on breakout lists for like three years now, uh, has never been able to get the combination of health and opportunity. I feel like this is kind of his last chance in, in, LA and he's not I could see him being a steal at this point in the draft going at pick 277 but he's not one that I've really been excited to go after um similar to kind of Tyler Black where I, I could see why people are excited but I'm just not there um where are you at with Lux I'm once again I'm with you on Lux I I have a hard time buying in again similar to Black before seeing him actually do it in game in the big leagues um like you said there was talk about an ev exit velocity increase in the the spring prior to his injury but if i remember correctly that was across like two games or something certainly not a meaningful sample it's just really really hard for me to again buy into changes that a player has made as being tangible or legitimate before I've actually seen how they play in game in particular in the regular season, because again, you know, spring training, anyone can get hot for, you know, a few weeks at a time, especially when pitchers are still ramping up. And it's just, it's really hard for me to buy in to a player that we haven't seen actually do it. I think the reason that he is getting so much hype is because of, 
you know, the big, big numbers he put up from a power standpoint in, uh, I'm, I'm blanking. Was it 2019 or 2020 that we had the juice balls? It must've been 2019. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So he put up just some wild power numbers in 2019. And I think that combining those numbers with the reported, uh, exit velocity increase that he had in spring prior to his injury last year. I think that is where a lot of people are looking and buying in. But again, that was the juiced ball year. So it wasn't so much that all of a sudden Lux tapped into this power in the minors as it was that there was something else aiding him. So if we didn't have that knowledge, maybe I'd buy into, you know, a power increase a little bit more. But as is, I just can't until I see it in game. Yeah, I mean, we've seen what that that juice ball and the miners effect had on, on prospects and kind of them getting overrated. Like, look at Dylan Carlson, right? Like what what he he showed that year versus, you know, what he ended up being. Um, so I 100% agree with you there. And I think, yeah, we, we both agree that he's one that we'd rather kind of wait on and, and see. Um, with that being said, let's move on to our next range of picks. Now, here's where things start to open up a bit. Not every one of these players has been drafted in every league. Um, but so what we've done is a little bit different than our first two um, first two recaps. We've kind of created an adjusted ADP for those players that were not drafted universally in all four leagues and what that does is just assumes that they were drafted you know one pick after um the final pick of the drafts where they were undrafted so if that's super confusing don't worry about it uh basically it's just a more realistic look so we don't have guys like we did last time of you know jake cronenworth showing up at you didn't you know, want to talk about Imanol vargas again <laughs> or Imanol vargas or these random names that somebody picked high in one league but then went undrafted everywhere else so um, I will point those out as we get there, but just keep that in mind that we're using kind of an adjusted ranking to make or adjusted ADP to make it a little bit more uh, realistic to to the value. With that being said, uh, we start out with Michael Bush at pick 320, Tyro Estrada at pick 337, Jorge Polanco at an adjusted ADP of 339. So he was only drafted in three of the leagues. Trevor Story at 353, Brendan Donovan, another adjusted ADP of 354, only in three leagues. Davis Schneider at 363, Jace Young at 377, uh, Ryan McMahon at 381, and then Brandon Lau, who was only picked in three of the leagues with an adjusted ADP of 388, and Brandon Drury, who we talked about on our first base episode, uh, with a ADP of 394. Um, so of these names, is there there one that kind of strikes you as being good value in the range? We're definitely getting to uh, the dregs of the position at this point. But what do you think about this range? Uh, yeah, so the the big one for me is right at the top in Michael Bush. This is another similar case to Vaughn Grissom, where at least one of these leagues, he was drafted prior to the move to Chicago. Playing time was still in doubt while he was in the Dodgers system. So we have a wild pick variance here of 246 picks with a high of 227 and a low of 473. So this is a guy who, you know, with playing time, I think people are really in two camps on either people are really excited as they have been for years about Michael Bush, 
or there's some prospect fatigue going on and they're pushing him down boards because they're just sick of hearing about him at this point. They're tired of it. They're they're over Michael Bush. They're on to the next new shiny toy. I still think there's a lot of potential in Bush. Um, the big thing is he's, you know, 26 years old and about to get his first real crack at it. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens, but he's a player that I drafted in one of these leagues and got him right around what this ADP ends up being. And I think that was a, a really good value because, you know, worst case scenario, I don't think he's too dissimilar from those guys we were talking about kind of at the the back end of the top 200. Not that he necessarily offers the same package as a, a Gorman or a Jimenez or a Stott, but value-wise, I think he could easily end up in that group this time next year. Yeah. I mean, I'm not as bullish on him as, as you are. I think, you know, he's, he's another one kind of like, like Lux for me where I want to see it. Um, You know, he's put up big numbers in the minors, but a lot of that, you know, is, is PCL. Um, He's shown, you know, solid power, but he also has platoon and and defensive concerns as well. So, you know, it sounds like they're going to try him out at first base you know, he could become potentially the everyday first baseman there. Um, but yeah, I, I he's one I, I kind of have to see it. Now, the value of where he's going, particularly in those early drafts, like 473 in uh, in the points league, um, I'm fine with, with taking that chance. But yeah, he's, he's more just like a speculative bench bat for me than he is somebody who uh, I, I would put up in the, you know, Jimenez type range. Um that being said, the the one guy I want to talk about is right underneath him in, in Tyro Estrada. And that's actually someone I would put up in that range uh, because I think he offers a very similar package to, again, guys like Horner, guys like Andre Semenich, Bryson Stott, uh, Hassan Kim. This is a guy who over the last two seasons has been remarkably consistent with right around, you know, 530 to 540 plate appearances, 14 home runs in both, both seasons between, you know, 21 and 23 stolen bases. So he's not going to wow you in an OBP. He's a low OBP guy, um, but he'll hit for a good average. And again, around 15 home runs and 20 plus stolen bases. That's kind of what you're getting, you know, <laughs> hundreds of picks earlier. And and some of those other guys, one thing I will say though, is I think Estrada has the potential to do even better this year. Uh, he had a really, really good first half last year. It looked like he was going to break out and then he got hurt and, you know, kind of scuffled a little bit and ended up with the same numbers. But if he could keep up the momentum of what he showed early on, there might be some additional power upside. And I think there's a ton of additional stolen base upside when you look at the change from Kapler to Bob Melvin. Um, you know, Giants were dead last in the major leagues last year in stolen bases and like 20 stolen bases lower than the next team. Whereas you know, the Padres were ninth in stolen bases. And a lot of that has to do with personnel, right? The Giants don't have a lot of young uh, stolen bases. They don't have a Tatis, that's for sure. (laughs) They don't have a Tatis, but still, I I think Melvin's going to be more aggressive for sure. Absolutely. And I I think, you know, I'm not expecting Estrada to get 40 stolen bases, but if he's, you know, if he got 23 last year, what's to say he couldn't get 30? You know, and then you're looking at maybe power ticking up a little bit, maybe a, a 15 you know, 16, 17 home run guy with 30 stolen bases, that's Hassan Kim. So, you know, that's why I really like grabbing Estrada down here. And I think in a in a pinch, I would be okay with him as my last resort starting second baseman because he is going to be the Giants starting second baseman. He's going to hit towards the top of that lineup. 
and uh, his defense is exceptional and going to keep him on the field. So I really think he stands out as a great value in this range. I'm I'm a little bit torn on him because I, I look at the numbers and I completely agree with you. And then I look over at his savant page and I have no idea where these numbers are coming from because <laughs> outside of a solid whiff percentage and um, a respectable K percentage, between 2022 and 2023, which, like you said, both years were 14 home runs and 21 and 23 stolen bases with a 260, 271 average, there's just so much blue and so much like bottom 20% of the league. I don't know where like the success is coming from. It's it's hard to argue the numbers, but I, I have a hard time seeing more in the profile given what I'm seeing on the the Savant page. You know, it's a fourth percentile average EV, a 16th percentile barrel percentage, 17th percentile hard hit. He chases, you know, within the bottom 7% of the league. It's a bottom 3% walk percentage. His max EV is respectable at 110.5, but I just, I don't see where... One, you know, where the numbers he has been putting up are coming from, or two, where the potential for growth comes from. But this is a really good example as to why you can't trust just one set of numbers. Because if you just looked at his Savant page, you're not drafting him. Like, there's no no reason to believe he's hitting anywhere near even 14 home runs or hitting anywhere near... 260 270 with an expected batting average of 248 but again two consecutive years with about 15 home runs and 20 stolen bases it's hard to argue what he has done versus what it looks like he should be doing yeah and I'll I'll say from from the the power standpoint there's not a lot like his his power numbers are are awful on stack ass but like so are Horners, so are Jimenez's. Like, you know, again, I think there's there's different profiles of second baseman, and that's kind of the group I'm lumping him in with. And like, to be honest, he, for me, is at the bottom of that group. But he's also going, you know, two to 300 picks later. So, you know, if you miss out on those guys, Estrada is going to give you a similar statistical output. And even though, like, yeah, the the ceiling is capped. Like again, I think you know him him taking a step forward is the difference between fourteen home runs and you know sixteen home runs, right? Like it's not. I'm not expecting him to hit twenty home runs, but I again, I do think he could steal more bases, um, being a little bit more aggressive, um, and just healthier. He's missed a lot of time the last couple years. Only played in I think 120 games last year. So if he can stay healthy and and be a contributor, um, you know, I, I just I think there's a ton of value. With, with where he's going, even if it's more floor than upside. And yeah, I think a big part of that, like you said, is just how reliant people are on baseball savant and looking at the blue on his stack ass and thinking blue equals bad player. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's the big thing. Like you said, if he can continue to put up the numbers that he has, he's an awesome value where he's going at an average pick of 337. But it's just a little bit easier to look at his page and see where the regression can come from versus some of those other guys that you are, you know, kind of lumping him in with. But again, if he continues to put up those numbers, which he has for two years, despite what the 
kind of underlying metrics say he should be doing, he's a fantastic value as the 32nd second baseman off the board. Definitely. Um, So we have kind of a little mini tier between 400 and 500. And then we have uh, everything from, from that point on. So I think we can lump them all kind of in the same grouping here. I'm not going to go through all the names, but is there anybody kind of in that range? Like who, who's your favorite of that, you know, uh, 400 on, uh, you know, ADP. Um, I'm going to go with probably two guys here actually for somewhat similar reasons, even though each of them were only drafted in, well, in less than all of the leagues, one was drafted in three and one was only drafted in two. Um, the first one being Willie Castro. He was the 43rd second baseman off the board with an adjusted ADP of 451. Um, with him again, it's, it's not necessarily the upside. It's more the floor that he provides as a 26 year old who put up really respectable numbers last year. He's not going to blow you away, but he, the big thing for me is getting a player this late with eligibility at second base and third base and outfield. So in a pinch, not only can you fit him into those positions, but he's eligible at both MI and CI as well, which is really valuable. And for similar reasons, another one I like, who I'm not going to go too in-depth on because we covered him in one of the uh, the draft recaps because I took him in our categories league, and that's Luis Renjifo. And it's the same thing, second base, third base, shortstop, and outfield. So plenty of different places that you can fit him into your lineup. Again, there that's going to blow you away, but going to give you a nice floor and at the very worst going to be able to give you a backup option in a lot of different spots. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are good. Those are like kind of roster filler, right? You know, exactly. Yeah. Kind of back end of the draft, fill a hole, fill multiple holes really with the way that they can cover so many different positions and they shouldn't burn you in any category if you do need to plug them into your lineup for a little while. Yeah, we, we talked about that uh, on our first base recap with another name on this list, Wilmer Flores, and same same type yeah. of profile there, right? Um, yeah, I really like those picks. Kind of, you know, two speculative ads um, that I think could could have a little bit more ceiling, but like we just haven't seen it, and they could also you know, be, be cut a few weeks into the season, like really back of the roster types in this range. But for me, it's uh, Leo Pagero uh, of Pittsburgh. I just think he's the best second base option that they have there, um, you know, currently in the big leagues. I think he's got a little bit of power, speed, upside. He's shown some stuff. He was rushed to the majors kind of earlier on in his career. Uh, but he's one where, you know, I'm not necessarily going out to Adam, but if I can get him, you know, for free as like the, the last guy on my major league bench um, or just kind of, putting him on my watch list. I, th- I think there's, there could be something there. Um, similar to Michael Massey. Um, I, I can't guarantee, you know, Casey's not going to screw around with a veteran there instead of him, but he should have, you know, the, that second base job. Um, he's really underperformed his, his, you know, metrics and everything um, to this point, but he had a really strong finish to the season and, you know, has some power, a little bit of speed. You know, I do think there's a, there's a potential for a breakout. Now, I don't think it's a super high potential. So again, he's kind of one that, you know, if I am in a deeper league and I need someone to kind of 
you know, fill out the back end of my bench. Um, you know, I do like speculatively taking a look at Michael Massey, but um, he's one that I could easily cut and, and move on from if it, if it doesn't pan out there. Um, and then one last player in this range a prospect uh, that, you know, has been getting buzz in, in some circles, but, you know, clearly maybe not enough <laughs> for where he's being drafted. Cause to me, he's a step above all the rest of these names in this range. And that's Hector Rodriguez. Um, you know, I would put him, you know, maybe a hundred or so picks higher, 150 or so picks higher, um, maybe after like the Jace Young type prospect, because I do think there's a ton of upside. The power is capped a little bit. Um, he's more of like a 15 home run guy, but he's a 15 home run guy that could, again, steal 30 bases, uh, have a good OBP, good average, um, be like a, a Haas on camera or something like that. So um, yeah, I think he, he's one that sticks out to me as well. But I think at this point, second base is really, really uh, dried up there. So Kyle, I know I mentioned Hector Rodriguez there. Are there any prospects kind of in this remains that uh, that you want to talk about? Yeah, so the the last guy really that I want to talk about is another FYPD guy who really hasn't gotten much, if any, hype. And it's because there's not necessarily a ton of upside in his profile, particularly in the home run department. But that's Luke Kieschel. I think I'm pronouncing that name right, but he's in the Minnesota system. They drafted him 10th in the second round this year. And despite the fact that he was a second baseman in college, they still signed him for one and a half million dollars, which normally you don't see a college second baseman, you know, get that kind of money because a lot of teams would rather take a chance on a shortstop that might end up having to move to second base later on. But when you look at uh, Kieschel's debut season here, he had a 490 or sorry, 292 batting average with a 426 on base percentage and a 472 slug. Just one home run in 72 at-bats, but he was 11 for 11 on stolen bases. And this is the kind of guy that, again, isn't going to wow anyone, especially in the power department. But he's just got such a solid, well-rounded profile that I think he's one that at the very least you need to pay attention to and put on your watch list. He's one that I didn't know enough about prior to some of these startups that we had. So I don't think I drafted him anywhere, but I have gone on to grab a few shares either late in FYPDs or just picked him up off the wire afterwards. He's just a guy, like I said, who has you know, a very well-rounded profile. He's a strong runner, really good bat-to-ball skills, solid approach. And actually, he has the ability to play multiple positions. He's listed as a second baseman, but he played some uh, third base and outfield as well in his pro debut. So there's a a number of different ways that this guy could make it to the big leagues. And I think Luke Kieschel is just a name to know going forwards. You probably don't need to draft him. But if he starts off hot in 2024, you might want to grab him before it's too late. Yeah, I, I like that you brought that one up because that is exactly kind of, you know, I, I went 60 deep in my um, my FYPD rankings that are are posted on X, by the way. And he's one who I I don't like buying into that profile, right? I, I'm anti-no power. Like, you got to have some power. 
But of the guys who have that profile, I liked him the most. And he's one who, like you said, I'm not really drafting. I don't, you know, if some if I see him, someone pick him up, I'm not I'm not too bummed. But he's one I'm definitely keeping an eye on because, you know, it seems like all the reports on him are super positive. It's just, you know, how much power can he get into? But like we've seen with a lot of other players that we've talked about, we have a player again and Nico Horner who didn't even hit 10 home runs last year. Who's the never number seven second baseman off the board. So second base is not a position with a high power floor to be effective. And it seems like he's got the bat skills. He's got the speed that if he could just add a little bit in power, you know, he could be a really valuable, uh, you know, contributor at the second base position. So, yeah, I really like that uh, call out there. Um, but with that, we will end it for our second base preview. Um, be sure to follow us on social media. The um, handles will be in our show notes. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.